Warning, incoming game. Warning, incoming game. Welcome to Incoming Game, the podcast where we watch and rewatch the 90s animated series Reboot. I'm Jessica, and I've been a fan for a long time. I'm Ben, and I'm watching this for the first time. Each week, we'll take an episode, dissect it, inject some trivia, and try to find our frostiest moments. This week, we finally throw down in Showdown. So how was your week, Jess? My week was pretty uneventful, but I saw your week was pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, I went and saw the, went to the They Might Be Giants concert, I went to the uh, Mystery Science Theater show, that was a lot of fun. Nice. I was really excited to see Crow in person. It's like, oh, oh, he's real! <laughs> <laughs> Look, I got starstruck over a puppet once, it, it happens. <laughs> Alright, so should we get into this episode then? Let's get into it. Today we're doing Season 3, Episode 14, Showdown. First aired on January 10th, 1998. It was written by Len Wein. Story by Gavin Blair, Ian Pearson, Dan DiDio, Len Wein, Phil Mitchell, and Marv Wolfen. We open up in the Hooverville of Megaframe. Yeah, it's this blighted wasteland. There's a few binomes hanging around, just kind of existing. But they all have these like wide-open, gaping mouths for some reason. <laughs> Well, we wanted to know what the day-to-day life was for these normal binomes under Megabyte's rule, and it turns out the answer is the Great Depression. <laughs> yeah, one of them starts eating cat food, and like, it happens to see a uh, whole bunch of ABCs heading for the principal office, where Megabyte has formed the tear. And this is cue to watch Megabyte continue to torture Fong in an attempt to retrieve the code out of his system. We get some fun camera work here, too. Like, I'm not sure that it's quite a fisheye lens, but Megabyte's face is, like, close up and a bit distorted as he monologues. I noticed this all episode. The way things were framed and how they moved and the different lenses. Like, there's a lot of very interesting visuals in this one I really enjoyed. So whoever was doing the directing on this one did a really great job. And it's at this point, though, I, it also occurs to me how unequipped Megabyte is to infect the supercomputer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking he had so much trouble with one Guardian for how long? But he's going to go to the supercomputer and take on, like, the college where all the Guardians go to become <laughs> Guardians. He doesn't know what he's up against. Like, I don't know if he thinks they're going to fall under the law of inverse ninja or something, but... Uh... I'll have to look that up. <laughs> Oh, you don't know the law of inverse ninja? <laughs> no. One ninja is unbeatable. A horde of ninjas is easily beatable. Oh, it's because they only approach you one at a time. <laughs> well, yeah, whenever you see, though, a fight going on on screen where there's, like, the one ninja, that one ninja is, like, badass. You can't beat that one ninja. If it's, like, the turtles and the foot, they could take on the foot all day long. They'll just, like, <laughs> get rid of foot soldiers everywhere. So, law of inverse ninja. So, uh, just then, we see the saucy mare set sail for the cluster of ABCs, and as it approaches them, they fire on it. But what's inside is not our heroes, but in fact a shit ton of explosives. <laughs> the wreckage crashes into the ABCs before finally falling to her final demise into the sea around mainframe, and poor capacitors watching the whole thing. Just, like, incredibly sad. Can we talk about the explosion, though? Like, when the ship ignites, it goes in a big way. It's pretty spectacular. It is quite spectacular. The ABCs just disintegrate amidst the flames. <laughs> <laughs> and you just see like the the kind of skeleton of the ship yeah. with, like fire all around it as it <laughs> crashes into these guys. It's real badass. It is. 
But yeah, so like you said, Capacitor and Andrea are watching from below, and they uh, spill out some dialogue straight from Search for Spock. Godless, what have I done? What you always do, Captain. Turn a hopeless situation into a fighting chance. Is this actually straight from Search for Spock? It's verbatim, yeah. Really? I didn't have that in my notes. <laughs> and, and I only know that because I recently watched it again. <laughs> I'm not going to say that I definitely saw this bit of dialogue coming, but I pretty much saw it coming. <laughs> and I still laughed. Well, it's now time for part two of the plan. Mouse and Enzo sit with a group of rebel fighters, and with the signal of the crashing ship that no one could miss, but Enzo still needed a telescope to see, the rebels <laughs> opened fire on the principal office defenses. This shot is pretty badass, too, when it like pans over to see Enzo and Mouse. Like, they don't even do anything. They're just standing there, but for some reason it's like, oh yeah, like Mouse looks particularly intense. Oh yeah, they did a really great job with making stuff seem very intense in this episode. And, like, I completely bought that whole, you know, rebel army, like, getting ready to storm the gates of the evil fascist government. Right. <laughs> they give the order to start firing on the office, and Megabyte looks a little worried. A few of his gunner binomes get picked off, and the way they get taken out was extremely funny to me. <laughs> I definitely laughed out loud a couple of times. Like, <laughs> like the one who's still sitting in his gunner chair, but he has no gun. <laughs> Yeah, like, the one gets completely blown away, and the other one has half of his face taken off as he still, like, continues to shudder for a second. Yeah, they're not holding back here at all. Uh, and then we get to cut back to Rebel Headquarters, where Dot is watching the whole thing on screen and giving us her inner monologue. I should be out there with them, and so should Bob. But the attack had to go ahead. This is one area where I thought it felt a little weak, mostly because of the weird, like, you know, here's a slow-mo, uh, zoomed-in version of a scene that we're going to see later overlaid on top of Dot talking. Yeah, like, I, I wrote the same thing. I was like, we transitioned from a really great sequence to a kind of a weird one. And, like, I don't think it, it didn't work for me either. It was, like, a bit cheesy, kind of too obvious. Like, I think we could have just seen Dot looking worried but stoic without the narration and double-exposed shots. You know, it would have worked a bit better. Yeah. For one, there's the show-don't-tell aspect of this. Right, like, yeah. We could tell that Dot was worried. But if we were going to tell, I think it would be better if we'd had her conversing with um, Nerdy Bino. Oh, yeah. Or something. Just have him, like, telling what's going on. And then her saying, like, oh, gosh, I wish Bob were here, or, you know. It's just the in-the-head thing, and then the weird overlay just didn't quite work for this moment. No, not at all. It was like just trying to make the subtext text, I think. Yeah. But we then cut to Bob. Oh my gosh. He's still in, <laughs> trapped in Hex's lair, and she's ready to put on some music and start crumping. <laughs> you could tell already that Hex is not all there, even by Hex standards. As she walks in on him tied up, saying, oh, I thought you'd left. Like, no, you... You tied him up and put him in that chair. Like, wh where would he have gone? <laughs> so Enzo and Mouse start making their assault, taking cover behind some rubble. They're about to rush one of the gunners when Andrea takes care of him for them. So uh, Mouse gets blue balls from not being able to murk the binome, so she screams in rage, draws her sword, and runs off to satisfy herself elsewhere. <laughs> ah! <laughs> I do enjoy this weird, like berserker mouse that comes out of nowhere <laughs> and then you think it's gonna get paid off and it never does <laughs> it never does uh matrix almost goes after her but andrea reminds him that they have to go save fong uh but more importantly to matrix he has to go kill megabyte yeah 
Speaking of Megabyte, he's still threatening Fong, but the uh, the poor head doesn't have much left in him. So uh, fed up with how long this is taking, Megabyte tells Air Doctor to do as he pleases. They're rudely interrupted at this moment by a viral informing them that the rebels have entered the building. Then we get a very quick scene with Bob where he tries to get through to Hex, but she's not having it. And she's not sure whether to talk to him or kill him. Biscuit? So Matrix is guiding some of the rebels inwards, but uh, looks to himself at an ominous door and decides that he wants to go there alone without the, you know, giant number of rebels that he has or Andrea. (laughs) And then... For some reason, Andrea is, like, cool with this. She's like, yeah. This is something you need to do alone. And I'm like, no. No, he doesn't. There's, like, (laughs) multiple goals here. You should go with him and help him achieve those multiple goals. But uh, apparently no one in this relationship wants to actually think. And he does, in fact, burst through the door like the manly man he is. (laughs) Yeah, he quickly dispatches the doctor and Bunnyfoot and then approaches Fong's head, who manages to alert him that Megabyte is right behind him, just as Megabyte swats at him. Enzo ducks out of the way, uh, and we get a great Megabyte reaction shot to Enzo's buffness before (laughs) cutting to commercial, only to return to have Megabyte having an obvious interest in this new muscly hunk before him. Oh. Oh my god. And he immediately starts shit talking too. He's like, Where is that annoying chatter of yours? Mega breath this and mega bath that. What did he ever call him mega bath? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Megabyte's just pulling crap out of his ass at this point. He knows that psychological stuff works on him because it's who he used before. So he's trying to do it again. And he does. He manages to go to Enzo into a physical fight instead of using his gun, which again. Why? <laughs> he straight up sucker punches him. <laughs> well, like, he's busy throwing people through walls and Fong is still being tortured. He's <laughs> like, oh, but no, I've got I've to gotta do this mano a mano. And then when Megabyte pulls his claws out, he's just like, what? You've gone back on your word? You've only ever done that your entire time. Famously, when you ruined my life, I don't know why I would have thought that you'd do it again. <laughs> Megabytes is just like, please, don't even. <laughs> Sorry, I was very disappointed in Matrix this episode. I was yelling at him the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> but before Megabyte can stab Enzo in the face, Andrea appears and is like, hey, no one stabs my boyfriend in the face except me. <laughs> And she launches her trident right at Enzo's head. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately he ducks, though. (laughs) (laughs) And then they start fencing, just as the code to the portal has been fully extracted. Meanwhile, Bob is still trying to ditch his lunch date. I thought the little moment where Bob is, like, clinking his teacup and, like, totally into this moment, followed immediately by his, like, Looney Tunes-esque, like, run, was just fantastic. That was... (laughs) It was so good. (laughs) And he notices that she has a big mole on her face, and he's like, Ooh, please, let me touch it. Please, let me touch it. Yeah, starts to make the moves on Hex in a very sultry way, and then burns her face off. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Do you notice her little orgasm when he starts, like, pulling her close, too? Yeah, oh, (laughs) I noticed. (laughs) And then he just blasts her in the face with an energy beam, and she screams. I'm just like, holy shit, this episode is insane. (laughs) So Megabyte and Enzo are doing a fight on a giant stairwell that leads up to the top of the principal office, which I don't think we ever noticed previous to everything being destroyed. I thought the same thing. I was like, not only is this the slowest sword fight, but I don't think we've ever seen this spiral staircase before. (laughs) Enzo manages to get a good swipe in, kind of leaving a scar across his tummy and getting Megabyte's ire up. 
So Megapi decides he's just going to break down the whole infrastructure in an attempt to get rid of Enzo, which kind of worked for a little bit. Yeah, he causes a rock slide, and Enzo just rides one of the stones all the way down the stairs. Like, he looks like he's about to jump off at any point, but he waits until right at the end to do it. Well, yes, it's more dramatic that way. What's the Roger Rabbit moment? I couldn't have done it at any time, only when it was funny. <laughs> so Bob has finished Hex's facial, and it looks like he threw in a makeover, too. <laughs> so not only is her mole removed, but he gave her some eyelashes, and what's this? Her mouth can move now? How are you feeling? For the first time, whole. Bob's like, um, so can I, like, go now? She's like, what? Yeah, okay, whatever. And sends him away. <laughs> at the top of the principal office, Enzo and Megabyte are battling it out once again. At one point, Megabyte just punts Enzo down the orb, only to walk up and punt him again. Oh my god, he just starts kicking the tar out of him and sends him tumbling down the dome. He's relentless. He almost slips off the whole thing and for a moment even goes unconscious. Until T-Rex Megabyte shows up. Yeah, this is like an extended shot of just Enzo laying face down, and all you hear is Megabyte's footsteps clomping towards him, and like Enzo's head kind of shakes a little bit with each step. And in any other episode, I would have noted how long and excessively drawn out this was, but in this case, I think it worked. Like, the drama intention, like... Oh, yeah. It definitely worked in this episode. I mean, I may be mad at Enzo, but they're still doing a good job with this episode. <laughs> if anything, it's cathartic to see him get beat up on. It's true fact. Megabyte goes for one last swipe, but uh, Enzo rolls out of the way and then just starts punching him right in the nuts over and over again. <laughs> He's punching him in the wound, Ben. It <laughs> uh, looked crotch adjacent. <laughs> they go at each other once more and Enzo actually manages to shatter Megabyte's claws, which seems to really do him in. Enzo stands over Megabyte ready to end him. The trident pointed at his face. You can't do this. It goes against everything you stand for. Megabyte gets one last taunt in as uh, Enzo stabs the trident right next to Megabyte's face. Like, they both agree that it would go against Enzo's programming to actually kill Megabyte, but I'm like, come on, you know this is how Bob got double-crossed. You let Megabyte live, he's going to fuck you. Yeah, like that's... Like, you didn't learn your lesson from literally five minutes ago when he said he would do one thing and then did another. Like, he just did that. (laughs) Enzo wants Megabyte to remember this defeat, and he's like, Nah, dog, I'm peacing out. See ya. (laughs) It turns the tear into a portal as he hobbles over to it. Thankfully, at this point, we get some Deus Ex Mousina. (laughs) And Mouse manages to turn this portal, not to the supercomputer, but to the web, where he is sucked in by some tentacles. Yeah. (laughs) And just then, both Ray and Bob decide to finally show up and help out, now that the fight's over. Good eye, Max. Who was that guy? So, what'd I miss? Big help, you guys. You are doing great. At least Ray has kind of a reason. Like, he couldn't come through until that portal to the web opened up. Bob teleported out of Hex's thing, like, six minutes ago. Yeah, the (laughs) timing on that was a little weird. (laughs) But then the episode ends just as the system begins to shut down. Dun, dun, dun. Just when you thought it was safe to be in mainframe again. Reboot! So what did you think of this episode, Ben? Yo, this episode was great. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. (laughs) I can't believe how excited I was for this one. Like, the humor was there, the animation was awesome, the stakes were high, and just about everybody had something to do except for that weird scene with Dot. Like, that was her only scene. And it wasn't clear what she was actually doing. 
it wasn't clear in the sense like they were showing what she was doing. I think from context, it's easy to pick up that, you know, she's the general. She's like looking over the whole battlefield and probably telling people like, oh no, you know, platoon five, go here and platoon two, go here. But you don't see that. And I think that would have been nicer to see instead of the voiceover. But it didn't feel like there was a point in time where you could have fit her anywhere else. And everything else was packed and well done. Like there wasn't time where you're sitting there going, oh, this is dragging. Like this is very well edited. Yeah. And it's a very Enzo-centric episode. Like I still want to know what happened to Cyrus. And we never got to see Hack and Slash get in on the action this time. Like I thought for sure they would turn on Megabyte to save Fong. Yeah, I think this episode would have been great to have as like the full hour or 40 minutes or whatever, <laughs> like a two-parter. And again, I just kind of wish that like that they'd had four more episodes in this season or like they could have like <laughs> just extended some of the stuff because uh, one of the things that I thought in this episode is as good as that fight between Matrix and Megabyte was, I don't know if that moment where he decides not to kill Megabyte is really earned. Yeah, he needed to be the one to finish off Megabyte. Like, if it had been Bob, it would have just been too easy and taken from Enzo's character arc. Oh, definitely. No, it had to be him. He would have gone back to just letting Bob save the day. But, like, what we're supposed to take away from this is that Matrix, you know, had lost his innocence. He'd lost his optimism. You know, he'd become kind of the thing that he hated. And then when faced again with his family, it holds a mirror up to him of who he's become. And then at this point in time, is like, the moment where he goes like, no, I don't want to be you. And I don't know if we've had enough of that. Like he was still kind of an asshole last episode <laughs> and the episode before that. <laughs> so In the end, he only manages to save him because he remembers that, you know, he gave him a guitar that one time. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember? I gave you your first guitar. <laughs> but... That said, despite the fact that I'd wish we'd had a little bit more time to see that arc and dedication to that arc, I think they still did a fantastic job. You know, this was the showdown that we've been waiting for after all the stuff that's happened since the end of season two. Yeah, I was like giddy the whole time. (laughs) One thing I did want to bring up, and we joke about this a lot, and I don't want to get too much into the actual topic because I don't know if I'm the person to talk about the topic, but we joke about how Megabyte is totally into all these into Bob and now possibly into Matrix. The boy. So like queer coding villains is like a real thing. Uh, There's a long history of villains being like coded as gay and that like part of their villainy is the fact that they're not like straight-ish. I mean, that goes back to like, I mean, not all the way back, but like Scar. Yes, Scar is a huge example for that. Um, The bad guy in Pocahontas, Hades. There's like a lot of characters like that. So again, I don't want to bring up the whole topic because I, I don't know if I'm the most educated on it. But if you're interested, I would definitely, you know, look up some YouTube videos or some essays or something like that of people talking about queer coding of villains. Because I mean, it's a little bit back and forth because a lot of these villains, people kind of identified with like, say, Ursula, who is based on an actual like drag queen. Hmm. So in some ways, she's kind of like owned by the queer community, despite being one of the queer coded villains. So, you know, it's an interesting conversation, and I think it's a conversation worth having. And yeah, and like, it's definitely not something that's like definitely part of the show, but I think maybe we latched onto that because of those other villains, you know, that we, we grew up with, maybe. And yeah, and that's probably a big part of it, too. Anyways, I'm just saying that people should go out and like look at those conversations and, and learn about them and, you know, dissect your media. Dissecting media is fun. That's why I do <laughs> podcasts about it. <laughs> Alphanumeric! 
So, uh, speaking of dissecting things, uh, what kind of trivia do we have this week? All right. So, one of the ABC missiles, you get to see the serial FGD-135, which is a uh, reference to Dr. Strangelove. Oh, okay. Uh, radio operator Lieutenant B. Goldie Goldberg receives a loud radio transmission, and it's displayed as FGD-135. And I guess, as you mentioned, Andrea and Capacitor have... The exact dialogue from Search for Spock? Yes, Star Trek 3. So the code that is pulled out of Fong's head is the same code from... Uh, Lost. No, the same password that opened the corridor to the read-only room uh, in Enzo the Smart, which is yada, yada, yada. <laughs> um, and that's it for this Bits and Bites. This is wrong. This is all wrong. So, Ben, did you find a frosty moment in this episode what pray tell is a frosty moment i don't know you always say the intro part to that <laughs> <laughs> so each week we like to find our favorite whether it's a funny moment or a strange piece of animation or just something that really stood out to us we award the golden pigtail to what we call our frosty moments so uh jessica what are yours uh, so I really want to give a shout out to Steve Ball, the director in this episode, because there's some fantastic work in here. There's like this moment with the ship in the beginning where we kind of, one, looking above at the mast to just get the sense of scale of how tall this mast is. And then two, the way it kind of pans next to the camera. Both of those shots I thought was just really cool. And it kind of set the tone for the rest of the episode where I started noticing all these little like weird, fun, like camera movements and shots and how things were framed. And it's, you know, good work there. You did a great job. But I think my frostiest moment is just going to be Bob pulling the <laughs> uh, Roadrunner run out of X's. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, I'll totally sit down for tea, psych. Yeah, I'm kind of torn between uh, two moments. There's the scene, I think this will be the runner-up, is the scene when Hex gets her face fixed and all of a sudden she has eyelashes. <laughs> like, that was like, for, for whatever reason that struck out to me, I was like, oh, so like by fixing her, like kind of give her a little makeover. But um, I think the frostiest moment for me is going to be when those two binomes get like demolished and like the one has like half of his head blown off. <laughs> Because he's still like, kind of like, still going through the motions afterward too, and I like busted out laughing at that. <laughs> Poor guy, some violent stuff in this episode. That's when I was looking for when the, all the ABCs in the beginning started like exploding. I was like, oh, they they, they got out of there with parachutes, right? <laughs> <laughs> nope, definitely not. They're, we are so far beyond BSMP at this point; like, <laughs> it's barely worth mentioning. Yeah. This episode alone has multiple, I think, breaks in the Geneva Code. So, <laughs> Geneva Convention, that's what it's called. It's not a code. It's a convention. Maybe in the in the internet, it's the code. <laughs> the Guardians have the Geneva Code. So, let's take a look at our feedback this week. We've got a bunch of feedback this week. So, Cameron O'Hara on Twitter says, This is what Matrix has spent his entire adult life training for. It's awesome to see Megabyte's reaction to it. Even so, Megabyte almost gets away, gloating. But then the final twist, sending him into the web is the most poetic way to go. The perfect way to finish him. And that's true. This is a very poetic ending considering what he did to Bob at the end of season two. He pretty much gets exactly what he gave. Yeah. Uh, Nolan Hayes 
it, it's my DeLorean, has this whole theory about this season about like each of the four eps in each arc has like its own kind of trait. So he says, like, you know, for, for the episode one, there's a setup, establish the characters and the plot. Episode two, living in the plot, establish a new status quo. Uh, three, lots of plot progression, moving us towards the next step. And episode four is the conclusion with a major status quo change. And he said that this one actually kind of smashes it because, in his opinion, the second eps in the arc have been weaker, which I've kind of agreed with for most of them. But uh, this one is a top three or five overall for him. Daniel Borat on Facebook says, Growing up with the show, I always considered this, hands down, one of the best episodes of the season. From beginning to end, the fight between Matrix and Megabyte was amazing, and Bob changing Hex's mask was also a big surprise. His frostiest moment is Megabyte being dragged into the web, (laughs) which visually was very cool. Yeah. He's like limping down, and like he's barely standing, and he finally gets there, and just like being dragged in. That That was good. Yeah. The real Matt Quinn on Twitter says this is also one of his favorites, but it's tough because you want to see Bob take on Megabyte, but yet Matrix's fight has so much more emotional depth. Plus, revenge isn't really Bob's style. Still, seeing Glitch Bob unleash offensively would have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. Uh, it's definitely more emotionally resonant for Matrix, but I think it it works too because Bob has always been, you know, with his with his code and his programming, I guess, more... He does better being the healer in this episode. He's always talked his way out of situations, and he's, he's tried to come with compromises and stuff like that. So I think that works really well for his character in this one. Jan McCormick on Facebook says, Such an awesome fight between Matrix and Megabyte. The look of shock on Megabyte's face when Matrix dents him with a single punch and then slices him with Andrea's trident. So awesome. So yeah, everyone loves the fight. It's pretty good stuff. Yeah. Um, Steph Naylor chimed in too. She said this actually seeing Matrix afraid that he might get deleted by Megabyte and then Cameron replying that the same goes for Megabyte. He was genuinely surprised too. Rob Horrocks 432 on Twitter says that this was the episode they were most excited to see in the years they waited to see the end of season three. And 13 year old me was definitely not disappointed finally seeing Matrix kick Megabyte's assy. <laughs> 25 year old me gets a massive kick out of this episode as well. Oh, um, so Nolan Hayes also pointed out that uh, as Bob pulled Hex close to fix her mask, she'd actually extended her claws to kill him, which I did not pick up on. Did you see that? No, I didn't. I was too distracted by her orgasm noise. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's time to make this voyage unprofitable. So that's our show. Is there anything you want to recommend to our listeners this week? Yeah, um, I actually am a patron of someone named Lindsay Ellis. If you haven't checked her out, uh, she was previously known as the Nostalgia Chick, which I think she's mostly trying to forget. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But she does uh, video essays on media and film theory, um, stuff like that. She has a whole series that is about film theory and Transformers, which is not as awful as it sounds. Um, I mean, Transformers is as awful as it sounds. The videos she makes about it are great. Uh, She does really good stuff. She has some good ones about the Lord of the Rings and why the Lord of the Rings succeeded, where the Hobbit failed, stuff like that. Really interesting stuff. If you like hearing people talk about media, which I assume you do since you're listening to us. So you can check our videos on YouTube. Uh, Just search for Lindsay Ellis. And uh, you can see all this fun stuff about the death of the Hollywood movie musical and the ideology of the First Order and that time that Disney remade Beauty and the Beast. It's good stuff. Definitely worth it. Cool. What about you, Ben? I'm going to recommend my friend Chris Wright, who uh, is a 
oil painter and uh, portrait artist who goes by C.L. Wright on Facebook. And uh, he's at clwright.com, and that's Wright with a W, kind of like Frank Lloyd Wright. He's very prolific, and I have a lot of his artwork on my own walls, but I want to get the word out and so other people can see his stuff too. Uh, so he does a lot of, like, scenes of people in various states of ennui. <laughs> but uh, I really like his stuff, and he's a good friend of mine, so I think everybody should check him out. It's at clwright.com. Or C.L. Wright on Facebook. C-L-W-R-I-G-H-T. Nice. So what are we looking at next week? So we have two more episodes left in this season, and our main villain has been defeated. And I'm curious, what do you think is in store next? Well, I'm going to assume that Megabyte's not done for good because he just got tentacled away. So he's not dead. So he could probably come back with a vengeance. Hexadecimal's still in the mix, and she's been reformed, but we don't know the extent of, you know, her... If she's now good, or if she is still going to cause some mischief. But I hear there's something called Daemon out there. So <laughs> maybe a Daemon might be in store. All right. Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah, next week we have System Crash. So we're going to be dealing with the fallout of where we left off. We've got, like, earthquakes. And obviously Mainframe is in a bad shape. In real life, this person is frustratedly slamming their keyboard going why the hell isn't this computer working why are you always frozen <laughs> he needs to upgrade his operating system again <laughs> <laughs> so uh we get to see you know what happens with that will our heroes get to save mainframe now that they've defeated the villain okay well in the meantime you can always uh join the conversation at incoming gamecast on facebook and incoming game pod on twitter you go to incominggamecast.com you can find me online at Dudworks, D-U-D-W-O-R-K-S. You can find me online at Stervino Lady. That's S-T-I-R-V-I-N-O Lady. If you want to check us out on Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com slash incominggame, uh, where you can talk to us. You can watch Ben's initial reactions on video, <laughs> uh, which are always pretty fun. So speaking of Patreon, we are putting out a special bonus episode because one of our backers decided to tell us to watch the first episode, two episodes of Escaflone, the anime. Neither of us have seen Escaflone before. So if you're interested in that, you can check out our Patreon. Uh, we also have on their interview with directors Ezekiel Norton. And both of those episodes are for our $5 and up backers. So yeah, go give it a shot and take a look. So our theme music is Spasmatica Polka by Kevin McLeod. And until next week, stay frosty. Game over. The user wins.